0: jump right in to our sermon series today and it's love your enemy and we're going to talk about attitudes that kill love and the one that I'm going to jump into let's all jump into contempt together not jump into it but let's get to the point right contempt the act of despising regarding something as vile, worthless or having a lack of respect. So that's that's the definition of contempt. Now why would we be talking about this today at this point? If you look at our country, you look at our society right now, contempt is at a high. There, there's there's not a conversation you can get into, it seems, that doesn't lead to people wanting to bite at each other and, and get defensive. And and they're like, it's, it's exciting to draw the line between you and the other person. And this is something that I think we need to look at, as Christians, that we can do this, not just not just intramurally in here, we definitely can, but even outside between us and people who may not believe what we believe, there's this desire to draw a line politically or any other category, but politically because something just happened um, <clears throat> in politics. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But what I want to do is I want to go, what does Christ have to say about this? What did Jesus have to say about this? And we're going to go to probably the most difficult portion of Scripture in in the Bible, which is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which calls us all to the carpet. And this is him saying, this is the morality of the kingdom that is to come. This is how much I have deepened our commitment to things that are true and good. And so he's saying this to everyone. And in Matthew chapter 5, he says... You have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And because it's important, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Now, that word raka, when we've looked at that in the in the it's not a Greek word, it's an Aramaic word. The best the best example of what we have, what this means, is it's like saying to somebody, You senseless, empty-headed person, if you say to your brother or sister, You you idiot, you mourn, can you, do you not even have a brain that works? This is what he's saying. Now Get this, he went from murder to just going, oh, you idiot. Now, in that time, if you you were in that society and you murdered somebody, you'd get pulled before the court and judged. And Jesus is saying, the heavenly kingdom to come, the morality of heaven, says you're just as guilty as the murderer. And that threw everybody for a loop. We're like, what? You are a crazy person. They were all thrown by this. But he goes on and he says, and if you say you fool you'll be in danger of the fire of hell what a judgment what a, just saying oh you know what you're you're just you're just stupid and foolish you're just that's what's wrong with you is you're dumb and he says that kind of heart that kind of attitude of the heart no matter the topic no matter the topic whether it's politics whether it's theological debate, and you sit here and you go, you fool, you idiot. Jesus is, it's not about the words, by the way. Stop getting, stop looking at Raqqa, stop writing it down, and going and double-checking my Aramaic, <laughs> a bit, you know. What I want to do is say, the, the words are, that's the thats the fruit of what's inside the heart. It's, it's the attitude of the heart toward our fellow man that produces that. It's out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when you're in conversation, and you're in intense debate even, and you get to that place where you recognize in your heart, you're like, it's just that they're stupid. That's where you start going wrong, and you're as wrong as them, or worse, actually. Jesus' point is that the attitude of contempt is very serious. So serious, it kept Moses out of the promised land. Consistency. God's consistent in his rejection of contempt. The sin of scorn and contempt, looking down your nose at someone else as they're less important. It's basically me over you, me instead of you in conversation. That's the contempt we're talking about. It's very easy to have a self-righteous attitude when you think you've accomplished a great deal. It's easy to be contemptuous of your fellow man because self-righteousness makes it nearly impossible to have a healthy confrontation with a person. Our, our lifting ourselves up and thinking about how great we are and how dumb the other person is or how how emotionally dwarfed they are compared to me and all of my greatness, that's contempt. To have that attitude. We're going to have many conversations and many confrontations and serious disagreements in our lives. Our marriages, our coworkers, our families, that's a healthy part of relationships. It really is. It really is. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say don't debate. I love doing that stuff. Don't don't have confrontations. Don't call people to the carpet. Do so. But when it gets to a place where your heart is demeaning the other person, looking down on them, that's when we get in the wrong way. Now I'm going to make a statement that'll make a lot of people in the room uncomfortable. Um, in our friend group, in Aslan and I's friend group, we have people who voted for Donald Trump. We have people who voted for Biden we have people who voted for a third-party candidate. And now all of you are like, who are these friends? I have a list. It'll be at the back later. You can go check it out. But you know what happened in that friend group? Nobody broke relationship. Nobody treated with contempt somebody who thought differently. That's good. I like that. Yeah, I'm with you. You can strongly disagree with people and still love them. You can do both, and I encourage us all to do both. Not allow a self-righteous attitude come in and break off relationships with people you've known for decades. That's unacceptable in the coming kingdom of Jesus. Unacceptable. John Newton, who is the author of one of the greatest hymns ever written, still makes me cry when I just sing the words, amazing grace, phenomenal. This man was so changed by God. He had a friend who, let's just, let's talk about enemies intramurally. Is everybody on the same page theologically in here on everything? Nope. Never has been that way in the history of mankind, by the way. There's always been division. There's always been different sides of the aisle on different things. And John Newton had a friend, and preparing for this, I came across this letter that John Newton had written to a friend who came to him for advice. And he said, I'm about to write something publicly about this person that I disagree with on a theological item. And he said, just coming to you for your thoughts. And then John wrote back, and he said, what I wish is that before you put your pen to paper, you lift this man up in prayer. That you take him, you commend him to the Lord and ask that the Lord change him if he's wrong. You know, it, that you bring him to that place. And, and not only when pen touches paper, but the entire time that you are preparing for your response back, be in prayer for that man. And he said this too, he said, though you disagree with him now, in heaven you will be closer friends than any friend you've ever had here on earth. That's the ultimate end game for that man. Don't have contempt. Have love. Have deep respect for that person, though you disagree. I love that. He even says, he goes, and if he was even an unbeliever, you need to realize you were too. If he was that wrong, it is the grace of God that has brought you to this place. And it could have very easily been the other way around. Contempt has no place in our dialogue. Now, I love sarcasm in comedy. I, I really do like it, like it a lot, use it myself. It's one of my tools, um, but if that's your only tool when you're trying to be funny, get more tools. You will wear people out. It is, it is, it's great in sketch comedy. It is terrible in real conversations. It will absolutely kill the move of that conversation if we do something like this oh, yeah, right, Mm mm-hmm, that's a great idea. You tried your best, Mm mm-hmm, well done. Or, sure, you never make mistakes, baby. You know, honey, you did your idea? I don't know, it's it's, it's really coming through to me. Yeah, big time. You know, I really appreciate how loving you are right now. What an example of Jesus you are. When we do that, everybody likes that one, yeah. Um, When we're doing that, What sarcasm does is it takes a person and it belittles them and makes them small. Right? Watch the next time you have an argument with your wife. If you do that, I want you to remember this. You are making less of them. You are devaluing them when the opposite, what Christ and what Christianity asks us to do is make much of a person. Would you pray for them when you're in the midst of the argument and go, Lord, how can I... Be a part of them growing and becoming better. Instead of only just trying to prove a point and be right, you can do both. You can say your point, and you can make much of the other person. So
1: I get to
0: do point number two. Aslan, give us number two.
1: So the second attitude we're going to talk about, I'm not sure, am I not? There we go. I can hear myself. The second attitude we're going to talk about, the second sin of the heart, I'm going to say the S word, sin, The second sin of the heart that kills love is pride. Exactly what what Rory prayed today. It's crazy how God does that. He, He prayed the literal sermon we were about to preach, and we had not talked about what today's subject was. Pride is a killer of love. Why? Because love is a choice. Love is an act of the will. And Christian love says, you first, me second, me last. You first, then me. That's what love is. It's not a feeling. Sometimes it's accompanied with a feeling. It's nice when that happens. But love is an act of the will. And so pride cannot exist with love. It shouldn't. The um, 1 Corinthians 13, which is the chapter that describes love. Oh, my gosh. Ever. Okay, I'm not going to make a scene. <laughs> Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Okay. 1 Corinthians 13 is about love. Love you, Stephen. Love you, production. Just kidding. I really do appreciate everything y'all do. And one thing, how it describes love, it says, love is not proud it can't be because pride gobbles up love. It erodes it away because pride says, me first, my honor, I'm going to save face. I want to prove how smart I am. I want to prove how much I deserve this. And so pride is a killer of love. And so when we harbor in our hearts and guys, it's so easy. I feel like every time I turn around, I find pride hiding underneath things I say, or things I do. So it really takes the Holy Spirit to help us to see when pride has uh, taken hold of our hearts. And so we're gonna, the portion of scripture David had was from Matthew 5, and I'm gonna scoot down Matthew 5 a little bit further. Matthew 5 is a long chapter, and I wish we had time to go through the whole entire thing, but I encourage you to go read it, uh, read the whole thing in its entirety, that chapter. But as David already said, I think Matthew chapter five could arguably be one of the most difficult chapters in the New Testament. It's tough. It's a long chapter and it deals with our hearts. It starts with the Beatitudes. It's like, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Those are tough words if you have mourned if you have been poor in spirit. So, so to really pull out what Jesus was challenging us on. And then he goes on in that same chapter saying, look, I didn't come to, to get rid of the law. I came to fulfill it. So when you think you're doing good, just following the law, I'm saying it's so much more than that. It's about your heart, your attitude about the law. And so it, it is a very difficult chapter, but it's chocked full of stuff for us. So we're gonna scoot down further in that chapter to verse 38. And let me just say, these this These four verses are really difficult, but we want to see what Jesus is saying to us in these verses about pride. He's talking about our pride. He says, "'You have heard that it was said, "'an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth.'" So he's referencing one of their laws there. It they, they was okay to seek revenge. That was part of how their system was set up. So if someone killed your livestock, I get to go kill their livestock. It was a, that, that was a, how their society was built. And so he said, okay, you know this law. You've heard this said. But I'm saying to you something new, something different. He says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. That's a difficult line. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now I want to be clear before, before we go any further because people have taken these verses throughout history and said, see, Jesus is okay with abuse. Jesus is okay when wives get beat by their husband. He's saying, don't stand up to injustice and just let yourself be beat to a bloody pulp. That's not what Jesus is saying here in this scripture. And when we look at, which we'll get into the, the context of this, but when we also see Jesus throughout all of scripture, we see him standing up against injustice, paying attention and loving the marginalized, the disenfranchised, those who were rejected. We see him stopping uh, the woman who was going to be beaten to death, stoned to death because of her sin. So Jesus is against injustice. He is not for abuse. Just want to clear that up. He is speaking to believers who will experience persecution and hate from the world. And earlier in this chapter, a verse we didn't get to, in verse 11, it says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say evil things about you because of me. Rejoice because your reward is in heaven. So he's pulling this thread again. He's saying, look, when people are evil to you, when they insult you, don't try to save face. Don't try to come up with the zinger that will get you back. These verses tell us the proper Christian to respond, the proper Christian response to mocking and insults and being made fun of. And it's simply to let it go. Don't resist it. Not abuse, but but your pride. When people insult you, instead prove that such acts are not worth the response. And instead, you're going to take that opportunity to radically love them. That was Jesus's message. And we look at the early church and we see how radically they loved others. And it wasn't because everybody loves their spouse or most people. Everyone loves their kids, most people. Most people like their friends. It's not radical love to love those people. It's radical love to love those who are hurting you, who are insulting you, who are not kind to you. And so when he references, if someone slaps you on the cheek, he was not talking about abuse. This was a reference to an insult. A back of the hand kind of putting you in your place. Let's embarrass you. Let's demean you. And Jesus is saying, don't try to save face. Don't try to put them in their place. Don't try to protect your honor. That's pride. We find radical ways to love them instead. When he mentions the verse that says, if someone forces you to go one mile, go two instead. At this time in Judea, it was under roman military occupation and under military law a roman soldier could demand that a jew carry his pack all his gear but only for 1 mile that was the law so that that roman officer couldn't you know truly take advantage of the citizens there so by law they had to carry that their pack 1 mile for a soldier if he demanded it and so jesus is referencing this and he's saying look if someone comes to you and is like you have to carry my you, when the end of that mile comes, you say, you know what? I'll take it one more mile for you. Out of love for you, we transform evil acts or evil impositions or people when they're trying to put us in our place or put us down or make themselves look better. We transform that by choosing to respond in love. That is the radical message of Christianity and you think, this is too hard. You're saying I can't defend myself. I can't stay face if someone's you know, mistreating me or saying bad things about me. Or we're... This is the example we have of Jesus. When he allowed himself to be mocked and shamed on the cross, he didn't turn on those who were evil and were killing him. He loved us in response. And he endured it for us. This is the radical love that Jesus talks about, that we can choose to turn when people mean us harm and say, God, in that moment, you stopped say, God, how can I love this person who is intending this action for harm? This person at work that left this project for me and they know it was theirs, but now they've made everyone think it's on me and I had to stay late and they're in the wrong. How can I show them tomorrow when I show up at work that I love it? Okay, I'm gonna bring them coffee. So I don't know whatever it is, in those moments when people are trying to harm us, say, God, how can I respond with radical love and love my enemy like you loved me when I was an enemy? Andrew Murray has a book called Humility. It's excellent. He says, pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. Because if we're living in a way that's like, I got to protect my honor, me first, me best, me that is, not, that is not the way of Jesus. That's not how he came to this earth. When I, this happened just like two weeks ago, three weeks ago. It was during this sermon series. Those of you uh, families that have kids in kids' church, you have heard this story, but I'm gonna share it for everyone because it's a good example of what we're talking about. I was in Sam's just two weeks ago and I was shopping and I went past this man. I don't know what egregious thing I did to him, but when I passed him, he looked at me just like sh- like mouth agape. I mean, under a mask, but I could tell, you know, could tell his mouth was open and just like shook his head. And I was like, oh, is, is everything okay? And he said, just shocked by your ignorance. And I was like... My ignorance, and I, I don't know what I did. I have no memory. I don't know, I didn't cut him off. I didn't touch him. I didn't, so, you know, your mind is racing. You've got, you know, seconds and all these things are going off. I'm trying to figure out what did I do? So meanwhile, he's, he's now walked away. Now, listen, I'm a middle child. I don't seek out confrontation. It's not fun for me. I'm like, it's cool, it's cool. Let's go, let's just keep the peace. I don't know what came over me <laughs> two weeks ago. But I was, As he's walking away from me, I'm like, me? I'm ignorant. And so I was like, shouting out to him, tell me why I'm ignorant as he walks away. And so I sit there. He's gone now. I'm sitting there. Sayla's in the car looking at me. And I'm talking out loud. And I was just like, Sayla, no. He does not get to do this. He does not just get to call me ignorant without enlightening me on what I could do different in the future. So I said, we're going to go find him. We're going to go find him. And I'm going to ask him to be so kind, to enlighten me at what I did that was so ignorant in, in, in Sam. So I st- literally, this is, I'm not exaggerating. I start searching the aisles for this man. You guys, I don't know what came up. I became possessed. This is not my personality. So I'm looking through the aisles, looking for this man. I'm like, I'm gonna ask him. I'm gonna. And so as I'm walking, Selah says, mom, do you wanna hear something we learned at kids' church this Sunday? And I'm like, uh-huh, sure, go ahead, tell me. As I'm like, not really, let's see. She's like, we learned that God says to bless your enemies, to love your enemies and not uh, harm those who persecute you. And she said, I really think you need to let this go. She's six years old, okay? <laughs> and when she said that, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, And Yes, I mean, yes. <laughs> when she, I, I could not have been more shocked if they said the country canceled Christmas. I mean, I was absolutely, the fact that she has put, knew how to put into practice in a live moment, something she just learned. I just want to give a shout out to Pastor Grace and Ryan and Tabitha and Micaiah and Rachel and Teresa and all of you who work in kids' church. It's really awesome what you're teaching our children. And I was so proud And so corrected and convicted. And I stopped and I said, Selah, you are absolutely right. I said, it is my sin that wants to save face here, that wants to zing him back. And so I said, please forgive me. Thank you for pointing me to scripture. And I said, I repent right now to Jesus for that pride that welled up in me because someone made a rude comment to me. Christians should be humble enough to be able to say, Oh, I see self righteousness rising here. I see, I see, I feel contempt in my heart. I'm starting to think that I, you know, am better than this person. I'm looking down my nose at this person who disagrees with me. Oh, I feel pride. We should have that revelation because we spend time with the creator of the universe who our sin is ever present before. His grace covers me when I ask for it, but I'm daily walking in an attitude or make choices that are sinful and offending him and he extends me grace and he forgives me. And so that is the revelation that should guide us as believers to be able when someone is mistreating us to say, how can I instead of reacting with revenge and in pride, how can I react in a way that will show them radical love and totally change the situation? All right, we're gonna give just a visual example here. Because we are certainly not saying, David said this several times, but we're certainly not saying like, just don't ever argue, just don't ever disagree, and that's how you're a good Christian. That's, that's definitely not the case, right? Because in any healthy relationship, you're going to have conflict, and you work through ideas and opinions, and that's how you come to the best solution. And Christianity specifically is about confronting the culture. Jesus came and he's like, this, there is a totally different way to live and this is how. And so there's going to be confrontation with your faith and in your families and in your marriages. But when we confront with the sin and the attitude and the bend of contempt or with pride mixed into it, it changes the confrontation to where it's not productive. It's not a representation of the gospel of Christianity confronting culture. It's a representation of my sin splattering on whoever I'm having a conversation with. So we're just going to say, say a few statements. There are numerous ones, and, but we just picked a few that are either uh, seeped in contempt, pride, or sarcasm to give some examples of what this looks like. You will always be this way. You will never change.
0: Well, I don't even care anymore.
1: Sure, good luck with that. Yeah, I'm sure it's really going to work this time. This isn't the 50th time you've tried this in 10 years to change.
0: Well, you're such an idiot. I hate you. I should have never married you.
1: I don't need you.
0: Mm. Shut up.
1: I wish... These are examples for any relationship, not just marriage. (laughs) Uh, I wish you weren't my parents. I wish I had different parents.
0: A rational person can't believe that.
1: Any idiot can see that that is not the solution.
0: A child has more sense than you.
1: Okay, so these are just some examples. But,
0: I got the raw end of the deal.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I can fight dirty.
0: Um, I was being patient and kind.
1: As ridiculous as this seems and as ridiculous as we look, that this is what happens if, if we had spiritual eyes to see... When, we, when I speak to him or anyone with pride in my heart, with contempt, and I'm trying to belittle, I'm trying to make myself better, this is how we walk away from these conversations. And we even walk away, and sometimes we're even like, Lord, help them come to Christ. Help them be saved after my confrontation with them, where I totally belittled them, made myself more important, spoke with haughtiness, spoke with a, a contempt, a self-righteousness, and I think I'm doing something good for the kingdom. Or I think a good result is going to come from my marriage when, when uh, pride and contempt are intertwined and intermingled with the words, with the difficult conversation we have to have. And so what's the antidote? What keeps us from spewing pride and having pride and contempt and self-righteousness be the motivation behind how we act? And the antidote is humility. Humility is what helps root out the sin of pride, root out the sin of contempt out of your heart. And the way to pursue humility is to spend time with God, spend time in his presence, read his word, When you are constantly in the presence of your creator, you're aware of your sin. You're aware of how often you transgress and how much God has forgiven you of. And so when my spouse or my coworker or the guy in Sam's or a neighbor acts inappropriately, has evil intentions towards me, I can stop and I can say, Holy Spirit, how would you respond to this situation? What is the right way? I'm not just... Bucking up and responding out of my pride because I want to save face and I want to prove that no, I'm actually I have a a snippier comment, I have a funnier response. No Holy Spirit, how should I respond to this situation? We're going to end with um, reading one more scripture. We're switching now out of Matthew and we're going to end with Luke, and then David's going to close us out with small group questions. Luke 18. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. This is Jesus getting ready to tell them a story. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisees, and these were the religious leaders of the times, that had put so many rules and regulations on top of the law uh, that they had really misrepresented what what it was. So the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, God, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted.
0: So for our small group questions, I just want to give a little of a um, instruction to the first one there. It says, ask someone close to you if they see contempt or pride manifest during their interactions with you or if they've seen you have that happen when there's just a fly on the wall and ask them to be honest. So what I want to encourage you to do is go to that person whom you trust who won't just blow smoke and try and soften it but somebody who will tell you the truth before you go to group so that you can bring that information to the group because that's really what we want. We want to pray for whatever the where we're not lining up with Christ. And if you're in earshot and you're the person being asked don't take it as an opportunity to go, oh, I've got a list of things. You know, like, no, no, let's, let's, be, let's be loving and, and tell the truth in love um, and not, a, not an opportunity to just bull over them. I want to close with uh, an Andrew Murray quote. Humility is perfect quietness of heart. It is to expect nothing, to wonder at nothing that is done to me, to feel nothing done against me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me, and when I am blamed and when I am blamed or despised. It is to have a blessed home in the Lord, where I can go in and shut the door and kneel to my Father in secret, and am at peace as in a deep sea of calmness, when all around and above is trouble. If you'll stand, we'll pray. Lord, my heart has contempt, my heart has pride, and I ask that you would, with gentleness, pull that out of me, that you would take my heart and make it more like yours, that in my next conversation when there is difficulty or there's tension, that my first thought would be, where is God in this relationship? Where? What would he guide me to act like to say what words would he choose Lord before I get on social media and I type out my response or my rebuke of a person let me come to you in prayer and commend that person to you let me let me have that heart that seeks the best for my neighbor and the best for my enemy instead of me just being right Lord help us to have that heart of compassion and love so that we can be truly a light to the world we ask this in your precious son's name and we all say amen